0: Father's mercy
1: my praise, oh holy Lord, most holy Lord. With all of my heart I, with my heart I sing great sing, Holy Lord, most holy. Come on, ladies. Are worthy of my praise, Lord. Oh.
2: Preston Crest. We are glad to have all of you here, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us virtually. My name is Mike Pipkin. I'm one of the elders here at Preston Crest, and we are glad that you are here in the building or walking in the doors right now. Uh, if you are uh, with us, regardless of whether you're in person or whether you're joining us virtually, we'd ask for you to check in by uh, texting the word "check in" to the phone number up on the screen, or using the bar card that you uh, barcode that you have there in the in the card that's sitting in the pew back in front of you. Um, visitors, especially, we're glad that you're here. We ask that you register with us so we we know that you've joined us. And if you are a first-time guest, here at Preston Crest, we'd ask that you take that card with you to the Information Center in the foyer. We've got a special gift for you. Also just want to remind all of our members how much information is available by texting the word me to the same number up on the screen. That, that gives you just all sorts of opportunities to learn more about what's going on here at Preston Crest to get an updated copy of the bulletin, but also uh, to look for opportunities to serve. Uh, we are thankful for a great night that we had last Sunday night where we celebrated all of our kids going back to school. We had almost 300 who were here uh, for a time of worship that was uh, led in part by our our kids in the not only in the youth group but also in the children's ministry third through sixth grade. We then followed it up with a time of fellowship in the fellowship hall uh, with uh, pizza and, and just a, a lot of a lot of fun. We are are grateful for a fantastic children's and youth ministry that we have here at Preston Crest, and for everybody that's involved with that, and, and as we, we go to our Father in Prayer in just a moment, we're going to be lifting up uh, all of these kids, all of the teachers that we have here, not only in public and private schools, but we've got a number of teachers who are homeschool teachers, and uh, we, we are going to be praying for a blessing on everybody involved in uh, the education of our children as we go to our Father in prayer. Let's go ahead and bow, and then we'll continue our time in worship. Dear, dear God in heaven, we are thankful for this opportunity to come before you in prayer. Uh, Lord, there are just many times that we are able to, to come before you, and we're thankful for the, the good things that are happening in our lives. And right now, we're thankful for all of our kids and for all of the educators that we have in our congregation. We ask your blessing on our children. May this be a great time of learning for them in the coming year and, and may they look for and and look for opportunities to shine their light, shine the light that's provided within them to their, to their friends, to their teachers, to just be a, a great example for you and their community. Lord, we ask that you bless all of the teachers, whether they're employed in schools or whether they're teaching at home. Uh, Share that good news, share the the learning and the knowledge that they have with these growing kids as they grow up in Christ. Uh, Lord, we also are thankful for times that we can come together and when we're in times of great need. uh, We are, there, there are many in this congregation that are struggling with various things. They know what they are and you know what they are. And Lord, we ask that your spirit uh, fill them with peace and joy and comfort during these times. That that spirit envelop them and carry them when they just don't feel like they can take another step. Lord, be with all of us. Help us to know that we are family. Lord, the theme of brothers and sisters throughout the New Testament is not, it was intentional, Lord. We are brothers and sisters. We are family with one another. Lord, help us to be as committed to this congregation of believers as we are to our families. And Lord, if we need help being committed to our families, help us do that as well. We love this perfect plan that you provided for us. And we love your son who you sent on to walk on this earth to show us how it's done, to show us how to love who died for us and who was resurrected on the third day, that we may have hope and knowledge that that perfect plan will result in us being with you forever. We're thankful for that, Lord. Be with us as we continue this worship. May it be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm chapter 48, verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Let's continue our time in worship.
1: I am a sheep and the Lord my shepherd was your... He is. as we enter into our time of communion we're going to sing one more song and then Mark McClure will lead us this morning around the bread and around the cup
0: worthy is the lamb
3: it's alive.
4: Church, I've had the pleasure several times in my life of going scuba diving. And uh, if you've never been, it's an amazing experience. Uh, 30, 40, 50, even more feet below the surface of the water, uh, experiencing a a whole new world uh, than we can see from the surface. Uh, Brightly colored coral, uh, an amazing variety of fish, uh, maybe even sharks. Uh, but it's an amazing experience, and it's all made possible by a tank of air that rides on your back. Without that, you wouldn't be able to have the, the same experience. You wouldn't be able to spend the amount of time uh, down under the water without that tank of air. That tank of air is, is literally your source of life. Uh, underwater breathing equals living. Humans can't survive underwater Without air. And just like humans underwater, we as Christians are living as aliens in this world. This is not our home. We're just passing through. And if you find yourself struggling at times, um, it's because this isn't where you're meant to be. This isn't what you were truly designed for. We were designed to be with our Lord and Savior. And this world is broken. So just like When you're underwater, you need that source of air. You know, breath and air has been key to our life since the beginning. If you look at at Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. It was a key from the beginning. In Job chapter 33, it says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And Jesus continued this idea um, when he gave his apostles and his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, it says that he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so this idea of, of breath, of Air being the source of our life is something that is woven throughout Scripture. SCUBA is an acronym, and you probably know that, for self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. And when you're about to go diving, you have to make sure you have a a full tank of air. Uh, You have to fill up that tank. You can't just take a breath above the water and then go down to the depths below and spend 30 minutes, an hour under the water. You have to fill up that tank and take it with you. You know, taking a breath is, is, is easy. It's, it's instinctual. We don't even have to really think about it. Um, it's routine, something we do every minute, maybe several times every minute. But it, it doesn't last. It, it's only available to us for a short amount of time. Uh, by contrast, filling up a tank of air takes time. It can be complex. It requires intention, training, and you'd certainly need the right source. You need to have the right air in your tank. You know, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper uh, there in the upper room in in His last days before He was crucified, uh, that's captured in in several of the Gospels. The the Gospel of John actually doesn't record Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. That that had already been documented properly. But John wanted us to know about a different message that Jesus had given in that same discourse. Um, And that's to abide in Christ. And just like filling up our tanks takes time and intention, as we approach this time of communion... Um, it can't be something that we just do once a week. Just coming to church and, and taking a breath of God, going to communion, drinking the cup, eating the bread, taking a breath of God isn't going to sustain us throughout the week. It's something we need to take with us. We need to be filling up our tank during this time of communion. And Jesus reminds us of that in John chapter 15 when he says, Abide in me. Abide this idea of remaining, of dwelling of taking Jesus with us no matter where we go. I want to read these verses, John chapter 15, verses 4 through 9. Listen to how many times Jesus says, "'Abide in me.'" "'Abide in me, and I in you, "'as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself "'unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. "'Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, "'you are the branches.'" By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. As we enter this time of communion, we're about to take the bread that represents Christ's body. We're about to drink the fruit of the vine that represents his blood. Don't let this pass quickly. Don't let this moment be there and then gone. Drink deeply in his love. Abide in his love. Fill up your tank so that you can take it with you into this week. And look for opportunities to continue to fill your tank as you go through this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to take this bread, this symbol of your body, we are reminded that your body was broken. You became flesh. You walked among us, but ultimately you gave up your body to be broken, to be beaten, to be hung on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice, as the ultimate example of your love. Help us to to drink in, to breathe in that image, the image of your body broken on a cross. Help that to fill us up with your love and to sustain us help us to abide at this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's continue in prayer as we continue this time of communion with our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we now turn to the blood of Christ. The symbol of the fruit of the vine that represents His death. The blood that He shed. God, blood also has been a a symbol throughout the history of time sacrifice, the ability to substitute the death of one for another. And God, so we come before you now as those that don't deserve to abide in your love. We don't deserve to be grafted into the vine, to draw from its power, to breathe in the air of the Holy Spirit. We don't deserve that, Lord. But yet, we are here because of the blood of your son. And so we want to pause, to abide in this moment, to remember his sacrifice, that his blood washes us clean. If we accept that gift of the Holy Spirit, he lives in our hearts and we take him with us. We take you with us wherever we go. And it is because of the blood of Jesus.
5: We're so glad that you're here. If you're a guest, we're especially glad that you're here with us today. Um, Today is my mom's birthday, so I'm wearing a tie. She always likes it when I wear a tie. Hi, Mom. Um, So that's cool. It's kind of neat how the world shrinks. You know, she's watching online and... I was texting Betty Beal, one of our members today, who's in ICU up in Plano. Just, how are you doing and stuff? And she's with us right now, too, watching online. So, hey, Betty, and we're praying for her. But I love this community that we have here um, and how technology can make it so, the world so much smaller. It's so good. Uh, if you want to give this morning, you can give online through uh, our website, through church teams as well, which is the texting app, or you can just drop your contribution in the box out in the foyer. There are so many So many good works that God allows us to partner with him in. One of them, uh, those many good works is Divorce Care, which is getting ready to start once again. Been going on for years here, and we'll have a group starting on September the 7th. I hope you don't need that, but if you do, it is a wonderful ministry of healing uh, that's been a part of this church for a long time. So let's pray for that ministry and others. God, you bring healing and grace You bring forgiveness. You bring restoration. You've been in that business for a long, long time, and we are trophies of your grace. We are demonstrations of your power and your restoration right here in this room, and we are grateful to you. Bless this Divorce Care Ministry. Bless so many other ministries that we partner with you in as we lift up the name of Jesus here, and we help people experience your love. We pray this in the name of
6: Jesus. Amen. Here at Preston Chris, we're completely committed to the marriages that we have, both here in our church and also in our community. Divorces happen, separation takes place. We are highly committed to creating a safe healthy, supportive place for those going through such difficulties. Semesters of divorce care involve fellowship meals, fellowship dinners, uh, supportive, interactive educational video, discussions among the groups, supportive, caring, camaraderie among those going through the difficulties and challenges of divorce, and quite frankly, we help them to look toward healing and even resilience as they take some next steps to heal and to recover. No one wants to see a marriage go through those difficulties and challenges, but when we're here at Preston Christ, we want you to know that we're dedicated to helping people in that process to become better and connect with their Lord. Could not happen without the support that we have here with the folks at this church. We Thank you for your support as we serve with people in our divorce care ministry and help them in their next stage of life.
1: Hey some folks have asked me recently about our giving to Ukraine and that is still an option obviously online it's one of the drop down options if you give online but if you want to write a check uh, I know we've we've kind of talked about world care and things this is still an ongoing option for you to give to we have people in Ukraine that we are that we're working with trying to make that situation better so if you do give and drop that in the drop a check in just make sure you write Ukraine In the memo line. Hey, we have also got a couple of quilts that we're tying knots for today. So please stop by the table, tie a knot in those quilts, and say a prayer. Take these names with you this week Carrie Vega and Nancy Blanks, both asking for prayers for peace and for comfort. Let's do that, church, as a family. As a family. All right, let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We'll sing one more, and then Gordon's going to come back and share with us a little bit. Um,
0: Amazing grace, how
1: sweet
3: the sound that sings.
5: posters around and some marketing for Come to the Table, which is one of those great ministries at this church. And I mean, you'll find out more about it later, but I was just thinking when I saw that this morning, I remember the last time we did Come to the Table, which are just groups of getting to know each other, getting to know our elders and one another. But um, last time we did it, I remember we had a someone wanting to be a part of it, and they signed up online, and we had no idea who this person was. And it turns out. The first time they ever visited this church was on a day that we were, like today, talking about come to the table. So this guy, young man, signed up, and now he's part of the church. In fact, he led our communion thought a couple of weeks ago, and it's just another great way to find in Preston Crest a place to belong. So if you have not been part of it, I would encourage you to be part of it, but you'll hear more about it momentarily. We're continuing our study uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has been very direct with us. Um, And if you have not felt um, in the crosshairs of Jesus' teaching, because we've talked about everything from murder, adultery, lust, divorce, all sorts of things, I promise you, you are about to find yourself in the crosshairs, because we all struggle with dishonesty. So here we go, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so we have heard Jesus calling us to raise the bar, uh, to want more, to desire more than just a facade of faithfulness, just surface-level spirituality, but to go deep with him, connect to God with him, and to line up with his kingdom and his will for our lives. And that's, again, what he's calling us to do in today's text. Once upon a time, there were these college students, university in the northeastern United States, three seniors, three freshmen. They were getting ready to go on Thanksgiving break, and so they went, this is what you do in the Northeast, they went to the train station to catch that Amtrak home. And the three freshmen got in line at the ticket window and bought a ticket for each one of them. The seniors, though, the three of them only bought one ticket. And the freshmen, a little bit confused, said, whoa, you only bought one ticket? And the senior said, watch and learn. Watch and learn. They boarded the train, and the freshmen were kind of amused when the three seniors crowded into one of the bathrooms as the train was rolling out of the station. When the conductor went through and knocked on the bath- bathroom door, the seniors simply cracked it and held a ticket out the door, and the, the conductor went along. And the freshmen were like, Aha, that's brilliant, great way to save money. So, on the return trip, they all show up back at the train station to head back to college. This time, the three freshmen only bought one ticket amongst themselves. And then they watched as the seniors bought zero tickets. What's going on, they asked the seniors. And the seniors once again said, watch and learn, watch and learn. They got on the train. The train began rolling out of the station the freshmen all crammed into one bathroom. On the other side of the of the hall, the seniors crammed into the other bathroom. And then quietly, a couple of minutes later, one of the seniors slipped out of the bathroom they were sharing, knocked on the freshman bathroom door and said, Ticket, please. <laughs> That's how you do it. We have elevated... Deception, dishonesty to an art form. And uh, Jesus is addressing this culture that just like in the first century, we still have today, we've gotten really good at deceit. And Jesus says, hey, how about this? How about when you say yes, you mean yes? How about when you say no, you mean no? How about you just say things in a straightforward way? God's people should be known as truth tellers Anything beyond that is not of God, he said. Anything beyond that is of the evil one. And so, I would ask you for a show of hands who has never in this room told a lie, but I would not want to tempt you to lie once again. We have all told lies. Actually, there is a group at this church that has not yet told a lie. They are in the nursery. They have not yet learned to speak, right? But once they learn the word no, they're in trouble. Did you bite your sister? No. Did you forget to brush your teeth? No. We are, as Jeremiah 17, 9 says, a deceitful people. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. It is part of the sin, sickness that we as humans experience our deceitfulness Reminds me of the preacher who was going to preach on honesty the the next Sunday, and so he told the church, hey, for homework, I want everyone to read Isaiah chapter 67 to prepare for next week. And so they showed up the next week, the preacher got up and said, okay, how many of you read Isaiah 67? Some hands went up and said, well, there's only 66 chapters in Isaiah. So let's talk about honesty this morning. It is something that we all struggle with. And so to unpack this text, we need to see what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is not saying, and then, and only then, we'll talk about how does this apply to us today. So a number of interpreters have made this text primarily about swearing or oath-taking. Christians should not ever, according to Jesus, take an oath. Not if you're going to be on the witness stand at a trial trial. Uh, Some have said you shouldn't even pledge allegiance to the flag. That is another oath. Christians should not take oaths. The problem, well, there's a couple of problems with that. One is the New Testament is full of oaths. In fact, we could just look at the Apostle Paul. And sprinkled throughout his writings, he uses the, the language of swearing an oath. Like Romans chapter 1 verse 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you. So I swear, with God as my witness, I pray for you guys. I mention you in my prayers. From 1, 9 to chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Once again, the language of oath-taking, Galatians one twenty. and In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Uh, Paul also said in 2 Corinthians one twenty three, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. And then to his friends in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2 5, you know we never used flattery. God is our witness. So Jesus must mean something other than uh, this text being about a categorical imperative that we will not take oaths or swear as Christians. But given what he said in chapter 5, and given what James said in James 5.12, we should not take oaths if we can avoid it. We should not throw these around to accent points that we're making or to fortify our pl- promises or pledges to people. That should be unnecessary to us because we are simply people who speak the truth. Now, let's roll back as we've done throughout this series to the first century. Who is Jesus talking to. How did this apply in their lives? Um, If deception is an art form, he had some Monet's and Van Gogh's in the audience, and they were some of the spiritual leaders of Israel. They believed that it was possible to carefully craft a promise or to construct some phraseology so that you weren't telling the truth, but it sounded like you were. And if you said the right words, you were not actually sitting. So you could deceive without sitting. That was going on. That was commonplace. Like you could create some semantical tra- uh, semantic trapdoors in the language so you could lie without lying. That's kind of what was going on. So we've got the Ten Commandments. And you may think, well, this is about not bearing false witness. Yes, it was more about the Third Commandment, which is not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And so this prohibition against misusing the name of the lords it was widely held that you could state something Or you could promise something and as long as you did not use the name of God, it wasn't binding. It didn't have to be true. Once you say something like, I swear to God, then you have to be 100% honest. Then that promise or that oath or those words you say are binding, there's no wiggle room there. And so what did they do? They made these oaths, they made these pledges, these verbal flourishes as spiritual sounding as possible. As religious and holy as they could construct, but they didn't use the name of God, so they believed it wasn't binding. For example, Jesus says in verse 34, they would swear by heaven. God's throne, not the name of God, God's throne, piece of furniture. Uh, They would swear by Jerusalem, a city, the city of the great king. Uh, They would use all of this language to sound like they were swearing by God, but really they weren't. It was a city. It was a piece of furniture. Um, Since God's name wasn't technically being used, they were off the hook. At least that was the thinking of the day. Culturally speaking, moving it up to right now, the year 2022, we, we dispense with all of the artistry. We just flat out use the name of God or misuse it. OMG. Or I swear to God, this is what happened. Or God, those are the best breakfast tacos I've ever had. We miss use the name of the lord with regularity in our culture and we don't even flinch so as crazy as it sounds what they were doing in the first century it's really even worse today a lot of folks have no problems using the name of god to emphasize a text or a tweet or something they're saying right um the Lord gets back to the heart of the matter, which is our hearts. In the Sermon on the Mount, the people of God just need to be truth tellers. Need to tell it like it is. So that diverges with the popular culture now, and it did back then as well. And it makes us salt and light. It makes us different. When I was praying in this auditorium Thursday afternoon last week, I was praying that we would be a a congregation of influencers, not in the Instagram sense of the word, but in the salt and light sense of the word, that we would be transformative people in this culture. And telling the truth is one of the ways that we do that. By the way, Notre Dame did a study a while back. On truthfulness among Americans, and they determined that on average, we Americans tell 11 lies a week. Wow! So we have a problem with the truth, don't we? So let's just talk about look, nothing I'm about to say is gonna surprise you because unfortunately, we are well versed in the ways of dishonesty, but here are some common types of deception that we encounter, that we participate in. One of them, Just telling a lie. You know, that's the first thing we probably need to talk about. Just flat out lying, stating something to be true that we know is false. Tax return. Putting information that's not accurate. Actually, that's kind of swearing because you put information that's not true and then you sign your name. I promise this is true. Wow. Um, Telling the officer who pulled you over. I had no idea I was speeding officer. Yeah, you probably did. You probably did. Um, How about exaggeration? Another form of deception. Overstating something for emphasis. Overstating something to impress someone. Uh, Boasting about past accomplishments. Making grandiose claims. Using words like always and never. Big generalizations about groups or situations that happened. Miami International Airport, I was talking to someone that, one of our pilots that went through Miami this past week. Miami International Airport, it is the worst airport. Okay, I actually don't like that airport, but I'm pretty sure there are worse airports around the world than Miami International. Um, flattery, another form of deception that we use. Flattery is using excessive, these aren't necessarily untrue things that we say, but it is excessive praise for someone or something in order to get what we want. In order to impress the boss in order to get invited to that party, in order to get in good with somebody, giving a compliment to someone. It may be true, but it is not genuine. It is not sincere because I'm saying it in front of them, but I would never say it behind their back. Um, It's manipulative, right? How about misleading statements? This is so common. Misleading statements. You're sharing part of the story. You're sharing selective information to get people to think a certain way. Again, the words can be true, but the intent is dishonest. It's like uh, an internet provider that we had. They promised us, our home internet provider, that we would have speeds of up to 25 megabits per second, which by the way is not that fast. We never, David, we never even got close to 25 megabits per second. We would measure and it's like, we're getting three today. But, but that phrase, up to, uh, technically they're telling the truth. It is theoretically possible that we're going to give you 25 megabits per second, but it's not going to happen. Misleading statements abound. In our world. By the way, we could have done this whole thing on different kinds of dishonesty just looking at people's resumes this morning. You talk about little hotbeds of deception. From fabricated lies to exaggerations to misleading statements, uh, it's all in there. Finally, hypocrisy, which is a big one today. It was a big one in Jesus' time as well. It is stating one thing while actually believing something else and behaving in a different way as well. I, I was thinking this week, we could do a lot of examples of this. I was just thinking about, you know, the celebrity that travels the world uh, talking about the environment, you know, uh, global warming or, or whatever that cause is connected to the environment. And it is their cause. Now, they go around to these engagements in their Stream private jet, and when they get home, they drive their Hummer around town. It's like they have a carbon footprint the size of Godzilla, but their cause is talking about the environment. So we have hypocrisy. We have all of these kinds of deception built into our culture. The words can be technically true and can be very deceitful. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 23. Smooth words may hide a wicked heart just as pretty glaze covers a clay pot. The conclusion Jesus gives us is to be honest. Let your yes mean yes, your no means no, and there will be, let's be clear, a cost to this. Yes! If you tell the truth, it will cost you something from time to time. That's why we are so deceptive. Because we want to make it easier on ourselves. Ann Hibbard once wrote, A test of character comes when being truthful endangers what you want. So in this situation, if you tell the truth, is it going to help you or hurt you? If it's gonna hurt you, a disciple tells the truth anyway. All right. A friend of mine, elderly sister in Brazil, Isla's gonna know who I'm talking about. Love this lady. She and her husband have been married for decades. They have three kids. They have a bunch of grandkids. She told me one time, yeah, of our three kids, Gordon, uh, the second child, it's not my husband's, and he doesn't know. We've been together for 40-something years. My husband does not know that child number two is not his, and I can't tell him, and I urged her. I pled with her. For the sake of their relationship and, and their community as a couple, tell him the truth. No, he's going to leave me. She was afraid of the cost. He won't leave you. He loves you. Be honest with him. I don't know if she ever told him the truth about that. That's her story to tell, not mine. So I'll leave that up to her. But is there a risk to being truthful? Yeah, sometimes there is. Sometimes there is. But when we are not truthful, there is always a guaranteed cost. Community is damaged, relationships are hurt, churches are damaged, workplaces are damaged, marriages are hurt when we weaken the bonds that hold us together by being dishonest with each other. So let's go back to oath-taking for just a second. Taking an oath, swearing an oath. The very fact that, that we have to do this in our culture, that we have to make someone swear. Now, now, what you're about to say is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The fact that we have to do that tells us a lot about our hearts. Deceitful above all else. You know, years ago, when Isla and I were together enjoying a romantic dinner and I looked into her eyes and for the very first time I said, Isla, I love you. Man, I'm glad she didn't whip a Bible out of her purse and say, I'm going to need you to swear that under oath. You know? <laughs> we shouldn't need to do that. But it says something about our culture that we do need to do that in certain situations. So, healthy community depends on telling the truth. Why tell the truth? Because God tells the truth. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, God our Father never lies. God our Father never lies. You know, you do a DNA check, right? You may have done this before and you can see who your relatives are by tracking DNA. Do a spiritual DNA check. You'll, you'll know if your father is God by seeing. are you a truth teller or not? Proverbs 12, says, the Lord detests lying lips, but ah, he delights in those who tell the truth. On the other hand, here's another father. According to Jesus, Satan is in John chapter 8, verse 44, the father of lies. So, God is a father of truth. Satan is a father of lies. Who's your daddy? Are you a truth teller? Or are you a liar, a dishonest person? The DNA test, yes is yes, no is no. Now, a couple of practical filters this morning as we finish. Just these are things we can all do to help us with this struggle to be a truth-telling people. One, pause before you speak. You can do that. Pause before you tweet. Pause before you post. Pause before you text. Pause before you speak. Uh, we are always creating new habits. Here's a good one. Wait, think about this. Is, is what I'm about to say True. Is this accurate? I love James 1, 19. He basically says this. He says, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak. Read that with me if you would. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. And I say, in other words, practice the power of pause. That's a good way to clean up your speech. And he goes on to write, and this is strong. He says in verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What does a bridle do to a horse? A bridle controls and guides that horse to the destination you want it to go. What does controlling your tongue do? It guides and controls your way forward, your relationships, your destiny. So, pause. The second filter is ask this question. Is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to tweet, is this helpful Or hurtful? Does this bless the other person or does this belittle the other person? Um, There are people who think well, the Bible says to tell the truth. It says to be honest, and they go from that to weaponizing the truth. There is no love, there is no grace, there is no wisdom, they're just firing from the hip, they're saying true things, and they're injuring people left and right. The apostle Paul says, no, 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 that's not the way disciples work. If they're growing to be like Christ, he says in Ephesians 4, 15, we will speak the truth, what? What? In love. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way to be more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So call this maybe the diplomacy filter. Um, It's not just enough to say true things. We speak the truth in love. And we need, boy, this is tough. I know. So we need to pray for wisdom. Uh, Lord, help us with this. Help us to be a people who not only speak the truth, but speak it with good intentions. Speak it from a place of love. The Proverbs talk in Proverbs 15 about a word spoken in due season. The right word at the right time. Or another translation calls this the apt word. So it's not enough just to say true things, but we say the truth with love. Again, um, is what I'm communicating important? Yes, needs to be true. Is how I'm communicating important? Yes, it needs to be done from love. Those filters are important so that, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, we will be more and more like Jesus, like the one who spoke these words in Matthew chapter 5. So we live, I'll finish up with this little thought experiment for you this morning. We live in a time of crazy stuff out there, right? I mean, it's like uh, more than ever before. Because of social media, we are exposed to outlandish and preposterous things all of the time. And I would suggest to you, hopefully you don't run out, hear me out on this. I would suggest to you that Jesus said some pretty outlandish things. Jesus said some things that at face value were preposterous. I will be arrested. I will be murdered. On the third day, I will raise from death to life. May not sound crazy to you today. We celebrate Easter every year here. But those people who heard it must have thought, man, what's this guy talking about? They got a lot less outlandish sounding When after the third day, that tomb was empty, except for some neatly folded up grave clothes. Sounded a lot less preposterous when Jesus appeared in person to more than 500 people. Some people saw him. Some people shared dinner with him. Some people had Jesus cook breakfast for him by the Sea of Galilee after his death and resurrection. A lot of these disciples had Jesus personally instruct them. It's interesting, isn't it? Pretty much worldwide, Jesus is considered one of the greatest ethical teachers to ever live. One of the greatest instructors on morality in the history of the world. But I would ask you this, if the world thinks this, how could you deny his claims about the death, burial, and resurrection? Wouldn't he be one of the greatest liars in the history of the Lord, to make such preposterous claims if they were in fact untrue? But they weren't untrue. He told the truth. As hard as it was for people to believe when he said those words, he was arrested, he was crucified, and on the third day he was raised from death to life. And he is the way, the truth. And the life. This morning, if you need to give your life to Him, Jesus always tells you the truth. And He tells you that He came to save, not to condemn the world. John chapter 3. He wants to save you, He wants to redeem you. He calls you to be His disciple. You can follow Him today, put your faith in Him, and put Jesus on as your Lord and Savior today. Maybe you need prayers. Mike will be down here to pray. I'll be down here to pray. You can pray with someone around you this morning. We are a house of prayer here at Preston Crest. We would invite you to respond to God if he's put something on your heart to pray about today. Um, If you want to talk to us about becoming a member at Preston Crest, feel free to do that as well. Let's worship our wonderful God and Savior right now as we stand and sing together. Had it
0: not been the Lord who was on my side?
3: We without...
2: be seated for just a moment. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, John Scott, for wonderful worship. Thank you, Mark, for uh, the great words around the table. Uh, We are glad that everybody was here this morning. I am not exaggerating when I say that you're missing great things on Sunday nights if you're not here. I am not misleading you when I say that we have great worship, we have great singing. And we have great messages from the Word. So, you test out your windshield wipers tonight if this alleged rain makes it in this afternoon, and join us again tonight at six o'clock as we have another lesson from the study from uh, the Book of Ephesians, Paul's letter from uh, to the Ephesian Church. Uh, Gordon mentioned it just a moment ago. Uh, we've got the sign-up table for Come to the Table out in the foyer right now. Uh, When someone comes to your home and sits at your table and breaks bread with you, your relationship is forever changed. Come to the Table is a great program that we've been doing here at Preston Crest for many, many years. It gives our members a chance to get to know each other better. Participants will be placed in multi-generational groups hosted uh, originally by a Preston Crest elder and his wife, but these groups meet together over a four month period either in each other's homes or some other place where they can share a meal. Our young adults are encouraged to sign up with a friend as well. This is a four-month commitment and so when you're signing up you're saying that you're going to be able to participate, if at all possible, with the other groups. This is such a great opportunity to get to know elders here at Preston Crest, as well as other members. So if you're interested, signups can be done using the QR code and the bulletin, the signup sheet in the visitor center, or by calling the office. But sign-up sheets start today and end next week. So we're gonna have this for one week only. Get signed up if you're able to do it. Let's stand as we conclude our service and, and say this verse with me from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. And the church said?